Hi there, everyone. This is Fox News' Rude Braj on the November 2nd edition of Let It Rip. We took on a half-hour special talking about the Oxford report that was released, talking about the things that should have happened but didn't during that Oxford high school shooting. 572 pages, a lot to unpack, but really it was all about emotion as we talked to the parents of one of the students who was injured in that shooting. And with that, we take this special edition of Let It Rip. Welcome to this special edition of Letter Rip. With us now, Linda and Jared Watson, the parents of a student who survived the shooting who was shot in the leg. Their attorney, Todd Flood, joins us as well. Fox 2 anchor and attorney, Charlie Langton. We're going to spend the next half hour on this topic because we think it's really important, and I think everybody at home does as well. I don't care if you're in Detroit or you're in Rochester, Troy, or yes, Oxford. What happened on that terrible day uh, on November 30th, two years ago, is too important for us not to look at and try to figure out how to prevent this from happening again. Charlie, I know you've been covering this for some time now. Uh, we had the chance to look at this 572-page report. The parents, of course, did as well. Uh, Linda, Jared, when you see the report and you saw time after time on November 29th and November 30th, this report call out school staffers, counselors for not seeing the red flags and doing the right thing, what does go through your mind, Linda? Well, uh, initially, it, it's a hard read. It's a hard read because of every bit of information that's in there, but it's very validating because this is everything that we have been trying to bring to light for almost two years now. Those systemic failures and the individual failures as well. Um, it's hard to still exist in a community where just because you wanted to find out the right thing that the wrong thing happened, to find out what the right thing is to do and to move forward with that and make corrections so that way everyone's safe and we can continue to send our kid there. It's been really difficult for the past two years. So reading that report was extremely validating. And reading that report can also be painful looking at those days and those moments. I, I do want to ask, uh, Jared, how your son is now. And if you, if you would, please, I know it's painful to take us through what happened to him on that terrible day. So Aiden... Every day is different, but he struggles day to day. He still takes pain medication. Um, the doctors told us that at two years, whatever it was is what it would be. And, and so he'll be in pain the rest of his life. Mm. He has a hard time running, being active. He wants to be, but he struggles with it. That day, he was just coming back from lunch and um, he, something was going on in the hallway. He went out there with a couple of other kids. He's looking left and he hears it, sees it. We won't get into what he saw. Sure. And then he runs right before he gets into his room. He gets shot through the leg. He has no, goes into the classroom. It's a classroom full of freshmen and there's no teacher. The teacher was down the hallway talking to the other teacher. And when it happened, that teacher pushes her into her room and locks down. Those kids didn't know how to use the, the Nighthawk lock. They didn't know there was a shooting going on. They're like, is this really happening? And Aiden goes, yeah, I got shot. And a friend of his says, Aiden, we got to get out of here. So they both just run. They leave. And then the kids lock down the door and we wave down a, um, a passing driver who also was a parent with a kid in the school. And he picked Aiden up, drove him to his business and they called Linda and she ended up having to take him to the hospital because they, the, the need for the paramedics was too great at the high school. We are so 
sad and, and, and just absolutely taken aback by the pain that your family's going through. But might I add that we are also grateful that your son is alive. And, absolutely. Uh, and, and I want to yeah. thank you both for being here with Amen. us. We're going to unpack this a little bit more about what should hap have happened and what should happen now. Todd Flood represents you, of course, as an attorney here. Todd, uh, when you read this report and you see the red flags, there were a couple things that really were alarming. Uh, there were drawings that this shooter uh, had, had made on, on November 30th. Um, of a handgun, of a crying face, of a body with bullets, of blood, words that said, it won't stop, help me, my life is useless. All of this led for a school counselor to, the teacher to tell the school counselor, hey, we got the situation, takes him out of the room. Take us from that point on of what should have happened, because no principal or assistant principal was even notified that that had occurred. Let's just say it, this should have never happened. What you just went through, a teacher makes a report from there, the 29th and the 30th, if you just juxtapose those two days and you put the timeline together, you have three people, administrators, a counselor, a dean of students, right? You have someone that's in charge of bullying. All know and start to do the research and see the red flags, see all the blips on the radar screen. Even the shooter said, I thought I was gonna get caught. I thought I was gonna get busted. The shooter admits it. When he brings, actually, the gun and the backpack and the bullets, everything in, and he's escorted down to the administration office, the counselor didn't believe him. At the time, he said, uh, no, I, I'm fine, I'm hunky-dory, I paraphrase. Didn't believe him thought that there may be some disturbing acts that he may do to himself. Immediately from there, he should have searched the backpack. Why? To see if he had an instrument to hurt himself. To see if he had some a gun, a knife, or whatever. So that's a suicide threat assessment. Then you have the threat assessment in general for other students. Sure. And part of that is saying, hey, if a counselor finds this to be true, that a student seems like uh, unsettled or perhaps disturbed in the ways that this shooter seemed disturbed, that maybe we should call the principal. And so, Charlie, you read the report. One thing that was alarming to most everybody who read it was the fact that after all of that, on the 29th and 30th, seeing these red flags, seeing these notes, seeing these assignments with papers, even though they were redacted by the shooter himself, uh, crossing out some of the things, the report was there. Had the principal been involved, then perhaps an Oakland County resource officer could have been involved and forced to search even at that moment, right? Well, I think the law is pretty clear on searches. No kid has a right to have a free backpack in the school. And the issue today is whether or not the protocol of the threat assessment was followed. Just follow that. The next step would be, does that lead to looking in the backpack? And the conclusion from this report, but I think it's obvious anyway, is the answer is yes. There's a protocol. You ask the shooter, can I look in your backpack? Because because you meet this criteria. And if they say no? You do it anyway. That's the rule. That's the rule. That's the law. That's the law. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what a kid says. You want to get permission from the kid, but if the kid says no, if you have a reasonable suspicion, but a reasonable suspicion in this case? It's not even that high. It's not even that high. It was a real expectation of privacy. They should have looked in there. And that would have at least, I don't know how far we really have to go after that, but there are still other red flags. But yes, that should have, that backpack should have been looked into. We have some a situation now where you, you have this report that came out, 572 pages that essentially say, yes, this school did not follow the proper protocols that were in place and by omission allowed this to happen, essentially. Linda, Jared, 
Now you have a son who is dealing with uh, a, a struggle of his lifetime that we hope will get easier with time. We pray for that. We all do here. But in the meantime, the recourse that parents don't have in this case is because of government immunity that says you cannot sue the school. If this was a private school, this would not even be a question. That school would be sued. Linda, how much does that hurt? Does that hurt more knowing that there's at this point no recourse? It's incredibly frustrating. Um, if there's no recourses, if there's no recourse, then why is there any sort of standard? Is there a standard? Can they do whatever they want? Can anyone ever be held accountable for anything that happens in a school? Especially when something results in the death of four children and seven more people being injured, having to deal with things for the rest of their lives. Okay. Todd, Todd and Jared, I know this is something that's important, the government yeah. immunity piece. Jared, well, do chime in. Think about this. The report shows that they had policies, but they were lip service. They didn't implement them. They showed no record of the, the form ever being utilized for a threat assessment in any of the schools. They check a box because it's probably a requirement of the state. Why? Because they're not worried about it. If something goes wrong, there's no consequences. They're, they're protected under governmental immunity. It's time for that to change. Well, what, what, can do, what can happen to change that? Let's talk to our two attorneys here on the panel. Uh, right now, basically, the courts uh, initially sided with the school at first and said, and now it's up for appeal, right? No, they sided for us. They denied the governmental immunity claim in federal court. Federal the court, school yeah. now has appealed. The state court, I believe, got it wrong. And that's what appealed. I was referencing. Yeah. So there's two suits going on. In the federal system, Judge Goldsmith ruled in favor of the plaintiffs. That's in the Sixth Circuit. Yeah. There was an overt act. Not only was there a failure to act, but there were overt acts as well by the school district making decisions, making statements, saying certain things that could have tripped or triggered certain acts to happen. That gets us by that prophylactic bubble of immunity, mm -hmm. right? You wanna get through that immunity because all government agencies have immunity. You have to have gross negligence to get through that immunity. We show that here times 10. Then on top of it, which we're missing here, the systemic problem of all of this, seven people who, Karen McDonald's doing a great job, I applaud her, but they didn't cooperate. Where's the character of these people that didn't cooperate from the school district? My clients, all they ever wanted was transparency and truth. And we want to be here today. 572 pages indicate that there were so many people that said, I don't want to talk yeah. and, and well, talk to the guidepost let, folks. Let me just say, just the only thing is, and there's nobody probably from the school here, which would be interesting to talk to the school, but I have talked to the school attorney though. But if Todd Flood and others are suing the school, and then some report wants to get at the clients who ultimately could make a case for you, I, as the attorney for the school, would probably say, don't talk at all. Don't talk. So because we're litigation real fast here. I have a real problem with that. Didn't, they didn't want to talk because of the litigation. Serious problem. problem. But that. what about the That's humanity? The truth. No, what the about truth. the humanity You know what? This is a template for this. our country. This is a template. Have some cat. You know what? I grew up with parents and school teachers. What are we teaching our kids? At the end of the day, stand up for what's right. This was a template for everybody to have around the country. And so, Jared, what should the school district and the school be saying to students today? First, they need to stand up and do the thing they haven't done, and that's be accountable. That four children 
Six others were shot and one teacher was wounded on your watch. But should there be an apology? There should yes. absolutely be an apology, but an apology without action and follow-up is pointless. At this point in the game, it's too late. You guys had so many chances, so many chances, so many board meetings, so many opportunities for, to get this right, and you didn't. And even now, it's been three, four days, nothing from the school yet from my, is my understanding. So the school needs to stand up accept ownership because it's not like it's a secret anymore. You can't hide it. You push it off as long as you could. You blamed it on the prosecutor saying she wouldn't let you do because of criminal attorneys. We were the ones, my wife particularly, stood up at a board meeting and informed them. Karen McDonald told us that's not true. That was in March. They didn't order the third party until May. But well, 100% they need to do the right thing. We've asked the school for their side and, and their thoughts on all of this. Of course, we've received statements in the past. We invite anyone from the school district who would like to join our program here or any other part of our newscast to talk to us on camera, not hide behind a statement, because I think humanity That's is right. being lost in this. We need to see someone's face, eyes, voice, and hear someone say what they feel on behalf of the school district. We hope that will happen. In the meantime, we want to say that we continue to root for your son. Thank you. We hope and pray that he continues to get stronger and better as the time goes by. Can I Thank just you. say one more thing? The people that were there that day that are still there need to not be there. That should be the second thing they do after they apologize. Jared, I make that right. I want to thank you for your time today. Linda, yeah, thank, thank you, you as well. Thank you. Give our best to your son. And Todd, always good to see you too. Charlie and I are back on the other side of the break as we continue this special report on how this could impact the lawsuits filed against the Oxford School District, this particular report. We're going to take a closer look at that. You're watching a special edition of Let It Rip. Now on this special edition of Letter Rip, keeping this important conversation about that Oxford investigation and the 572-page report that was just released and the public feedback that now is going to follow. So we begin the public feedback on this stage. I'm joined live via Skype by attorney Ben Johnson, who represents families of Oxford school victims who lost their lives. In studio, we have former Detroit Teachers Federation President Keith Johnson and clinical psychologist Dr. Rose Moden, who of course can talk about the impact of the trauma that these families keep on having to feel over and over and over again. And of course, our Fox 2 anchor and attorney, Charlie Langton, uh, his legal expertise, always appreciated. But, you know, you've been out reporting on these streets, talking to families uh, every single day since this happened. And this certainly is something that is top of mind right now. Let's begin with Venn to talk about uh, what happened. The bottom line of this report, Venn, is this. The district that's responsible for keeping Madison, Tate, Justin, Hannah, and all the other survivors and students safe, they were supposed to do that, but according to this report, they failed to do so. What was the most glaring part of the report to you? Well, Ruth, this simply uh, reiterated that which we know and what we've been sharing publicly since the very beginning. And then once uh, after fighting and fighting to get uh, documents, and we were allowed to share those and share the evidence, uh, we've exactly concluded the same thing, that these folks who were hired by Oxford Community Schools, don't forget, everyone talks about independent investigation, but they were paid, hired and paid by Oxford Community Schools, said, yes, in fact, school district, you screwed this up and could have avoided all of this. Number one takeaway, all they had to do is do their job as outlined in what already existed 
and this tragedy would have been avoided. We'll talk about why families and the people that you represent uh, can't move forward in some ways right now, at least right now, with some lawsuits because of government immunity and other things. But the reason we have Keith with us is for good reason. He is in so many ways uh, watched the educational system unfold. He's been uh, a big part of it for so many years. You know, we talk about failures on every level here, Keith, and you and I were talking on the phone. You got a superintendent that was blamed. You got, uh, you know, principals for not being aware. It wasn't their fault. It was because they weren't being told about what was happening. Counselors, staff, um, training is important. And when it doesn't happen, Keith, you see what can end up occurring. Absolutely. And I, I think that we've been very negligent. Um, you would think that after Columbine back in 1999, uh, Sandy Hook, Parkland, that we would get the message that it's time for us to engage in some substantive and intense training on on the possibility of this type of situation occurring. And in looking at the report, and obviously I haven't read all 500 plus pages, but that which I did read, it was clear to me that on the 29th and the 30th, this young man exhibited a clear and present danger to himself and to anyone with whom he came in contact. And you know, as an educator, it really disappoints me that the counselor did not notify the administration, we've got a, seri a potentially serious problem here. And from what I understand, at some point, they want to send the child home with his parents, and the parents said, we're not taking them. And you know, we have a saying, you may not go home, but you're getting out of here. Right. And so if, if those types of preventive actions had been taken, then we wouldn't have this discussion now. And it's unfortunate that, in, and this is no secret, that in many of our suburban communities, there's this stigma about having metal detectors and other types of deterrents because we don't want our children to feel that they're in a fortress. Well, in the aftermath of a situation such as this, I would take having them feel like they're in the fortress and being safe than now trying to pick up the pieces from what we've experienced. Picking up the pieces is not easy. They are heavy pieces to pick up, and these families are the ones who have to bear that burden. Dr. Rose Moten, when you look at the fact that this report comes out, and as we've been talking about, the lawsuits have been filed, but we're stuck right now. Families yes. feel like they don't have recourse. From a psychological point of view, does that re-traumatize these students and these families? Absolutely. It's not it's re-traumatizing, it's triggering. And many may feel that the nearly two years of processing and healing that they've been through, they're back at square one, even though you're not. But it will feel that way because much of the same emotions and feelings and reactions that occurred on November 30th of 2021, they're experiencing again. So when we talk about experiencing again, you say, OK, look, people want to be able to do something. Do something with the pain and, and the terrible incident that happened. They want to be able to say, let's make sure this doesn't happen again. But also, those who may be responsible, let's hold them responsible. Then, Johnson, what's standing in the way of that right now? Well, as you know, Rupe, we're uh, currently before the Michigan Court of Appeals in our state court action. That means our action in Oakland County Circuit Court, where we're talking about what we believe to be multiple violations of Michigan law. 
uh, our judge uh, disagreed with our position and said governmental immunity blocks us from currently being able to sue any of the Oxford community people. So that case was dismissed. We have now appealed that case. We are currently before the Michigan Court of Appeals, and we will be arguing there that our judge, with all due respect, uh, made a mistake, and governmental immunity should be, first of all, thrown out, so it's not a block at all because it's unconstitutional. And secondly, uh, if judges from the Michigan Court of Appeals, you think it's still good law, we believe that there are exceptions to government, uh, governmental immunity in this case that apply that we should get the benefit of and go back to trial so our clients have their day in court. And so, Charlie, when you look at this particular roadblock that stands in the way right now, someone can say maybe the law needs to change in the state of Michigan, something that Venn uh, is talking about. What do you think about Well, that? I'll tell you what. I, I think, listen, I think there was certainly negligence by the school. I don't think there's any question about that. The issue, what's the, what's the remedy here? The purpose of governmental immunity basically is because we want to have some protection. This is if kids have a right to go to school and they have to have the means in which to do that. If you have a judgment, if Ben Johnson goes to court and gets a, this case is worth, it's un, you can't put a price tag on it, but if you could, it's worth a lot of money. Ben Johnson, let me ask you if I could. How do you propose changing governmental immunity to protect the taxpayers of a school district? Because if you get a hundred million or two hundred million dollar judgment, there's no way a little school like Oxford probably could even be insured for that kind of money. And you ultimately, your judgment would have to be paid by the taxpayers. How do you balance? And in this case, we know all the facts, but there are other cases that may be questionable. How do you change the law to protect both the victims here and the taxpayers of a school district? We don't need to change the law to protect the taxpayers, Charlie. You know that there are, each and every school district has insurance policies. And just like in a simple automobile accident, if the policy is insufficient, then typically that's all uh, an injured person gets, as tragic as that may be. So you don't have to change the law to protect that. The majority of folks that bring cases in this situation understand the limits of insurance uh, policies. And in more cases than not, I can tell you in 37 years of practice, I've never asked a, uh, a municipality to go in their pocket above and beyond what their insurance policy was, unless they never had an insurance policy to begin with. That's a whole different issue. Is the insurance policy here enough? Is the insurance policy here in Oxford enough to take care of all these victims? Well. They say it's worth a $5 million policy, of which they've offered zero. And uh, we, we believe that it's probably worth $55 million because there were so many different shots fired. And that depends on sure. how you define the word occurrences. Well, let's talk to Keith for a moment about the staff. Uh, this is, there are some, so many issues that happen when you look at maybe the breaks here. Uh, the staff unaware of threat assessment policies or forms. When you say that, people may say that's just bureaucracy. What is that really do. But when you take a look at a threat assessment policy, you may have adopted a policy, but if you haven't enacted it and there's and the people, the principals don't know how to work it, that's where the failure is, right? The, the fail, certainly that is a contributor to the failure. But what you, in my mind, what you really have to do, you have to go through some active shooter training where you create a scenario where this is what you do and the participants actually have to do it. But they're actually active shooters. 
shooter training did work. They, the, the report said that their active shooter training did work. It was the threat assessment policies that weren't followed by staff. And that's the other component, because people have to be educated on exactly what threat assessment means. You know, it, it can't be just about words. It, you have to associate action with the words so that, it, therefore, it can take root and it can grow. Otherwise, all, all we're doing is just spewing words. We're spewing yeah, rhetoric and really not drilling down to the core of what we need to do in order to correct this. We're going to give the last word to our, our therapist and our counselor, Dr. Rose Moten, here in a moment when we come back with a final thought about how we can try to not put this away, but deal with this harsh reality. We'll be right back. Final thoughts. Ben Johnson, where do we go from here? Well, we're going to obviously go through with our appeal to the Michigan Court of Appeals group, and uh, we're hopefully to be successful there. And if not, we'll appeal to the Michigan Supreme Court. In the meantime, Michigan legislature, change this law, throw it out. It's unconstitutional and unfair. If you believe that, you can talk to your lawmakers as well at home. In the meantime, Dr. Moten, we leave with some wis wisdom from you. What can people do to help process this next chapter? Well, you know, I'm going to always lean heavily back on just the whole emotional education we have to have mental health matters, we know that. And we have to be more preventative in this. The adult brain, the child brains are too different. They function so differently. Adults are able to understand consequences. They're under, able, when they are faced with emotions, to tap into the rational part. That has not been developed in kids. And we have to start educating our school systems and our teachers to really help children understand to make better choices when they are overwhelmed with emotion. Dr. Moten, I want to say thank you for joining thank us. Keith, you. always good to see you. Thank ben, you. thank you. Charlie and I will be back next week as well, and we want to thank you for joining us on this edition of Let It Rip. Our thoughts are always with Oxford.